Hi there, I'm Jessie Cook and I'm here with SciDance, an evidence-based podcast looking at all things dance science, chatting to experts in the field who share their research, knowledge and thoughts for dancers, dance educators and dance scientists. I'm back here today with Lisa Howell, physiotherapist, author, speaker and creator of the ballet blog. Today we're chatting about readiness for point and training point work. Having lectured internationally on dance anatomy, injury prevention, recovery and performance enhancement, including at iAdams, Lisa works to educate young dancers, professional dancers and dance teachers. Lisa's extensive series of workshops, online resources and dance education programs are linked in her website below. I hope you enjoy. Hi Lisa, welcome back to SciDance. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me back. Thank you so much for joining me again. Um, hopefully people have listened to our previous episode, but if they haven't, could you just give a little overview about who you are? Um, so I'm a physiotherapist and ran a clinic in Sydney for since 2005, um, but closed it last year to focus more on all my workshops internationally um, and locally. Unfortunately, COVID got a little bit in the way of that, but I produce a huge amount of resources to help dancers prevent all the injuries that I used to see in clinic because I'd rather prevent them rather than treating them afterwards. Absolutely, yeah. So we're going to talk about point work today. Um, sort of readiness for point, I suppose. So how does point work fit into your role as a physio? Um, two distinct ways. One, I did a huge amount of pre-point assessments, which was fantastic because the studios in Sydney really realised the benefit of getting students pre-screened for point. But on the flip side, the way I really developed our super fine, detailed pre-point assessment was due to all the injuries that we saw, especially when people had been on point around two to three years. That's often when things start to come up. So I kind of um, used the knowledge from the injuries that we would see later down the track to try and make the pre-screening um, super vigilant to help prevent those in all the other kids. Yeah, definitely. So more personally then, why do you feel like point work's a really important thing that we should be looking at in dance? I think it, it, it's really interesting. Even when I was 13, I remember seeing one of the kids in my class who didn't have enough point range, really struggled with Tana, and my teacher would yell at her to try and get on her box. And I remember thinking, you know, there should be some kind of assessment that you have before you get your point shoes. Because back in those days, and still some places in the world, you just go on to point when you hit a certain grade, rather than there being an assessment. And I could see that some bodies were more um, able to do it easily than others. And I thought then that there should have been an assessment. So once I became a physio, it was kind of this logical step. Um, I think for me personally, it absolutely breaks my heart because most of the injuries that I saw were when people were at pivotal points in their career, either just starting on point or starting pre-professional training or moving from pre-professional training to a performance career or having to stop dancing due to injury. And so many of those really heartbreaking decisions and heartbreaking times could have been prevented with better screening all the way through. Yeah, definitely. And it's so important as well to keep their career long and successful mm -hmm. and to start right at the beginning. So what influences when dancers are able to begin point work? Oh, so many. Um, and as I said, I actually have like a two to three day, two days in person, three days online going through all of this because it's so important. Um, the big things really are a mastery of all the basics in classical ballet. 
and the number of students I screen who have been on point for a couple of years but still can't stand in first, stand in first, do a plie, rise, or tondu, or retire correctly. And for me, they're the building blocks of classical ballet. If you can't do those correctly, then you're going to learn every other step on a poor base. It's like trying to build a house on a bed of sand. It's just not going to work. So really mastery of the basics. I think uh, a lot of people aren't doing enough ballet, or if they are, they're not doing it well enough or focused enough. They're trying to do things that are too hard for them rather than really mastering the basics. Um, and we go through um, some very specific ways of looking at things. I thought my teacher was mad, my, one of my teachers, because she used to get us to take our shoes off and she would be analysing our feet, watching us do a plie, watching us articulate our feet in a tondu. We thought she was completely mad, but she was completely on the, on the right track. You have to get the shoes off so we can't actually screen dancers for point work with their ballet slippers on. They can hide so many things. So I go into a lot of detail about how the foot is working, what kind of a foot it is, because a very mobile foot needs different care than a very stiff foot. What is their control with the tondu? What is their control on rise? And how does their endurance go through class as well? Yeah, and bony development is also a consideration. Could you tell us a little bit about that as well? It's a really tricky area. Um, as I often explain, unfortunately, we can't take 200 students and 100 of them train really well and 100 of them train really nastily or get kids who are nine and deliberately put them up before we know their bones are ready to compare them with people who have gone through puberty. Um, a lot of people ask about bony development and about an age for going on point, and I, I really struggle with this because there are 11-year-olds and there are 11-year-olds. Some 11-year-olds um, have had no, not great bony growth, and you look at their bones, they look like eight-year-olds. Personally, at 11, I looked 14, 15, had already gone through everything, and so would be in a much um, later stage of bony development. Also, the interesting thing is that you're, you don't actually fuse your growth plates until you're 16 to 18. Some growth plates don't even fuse till you're 22. So it's not that we can wait until they're fused before we do point work if you're wanting a professional career. So for me, more importantly, is the, the control to keep placement. So even if we do have still some growth happening in our long bones, that we have the strength and control in order to be able to keep everything aligned, the issues are going to happen if we're sinking in the shoe or sickling or winging the foot or hopping onto point because we don't have enough strength to control. So it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing because there's no one answer. But when we look at everything together, usually by the time people have mastered the strength and control for me to give them the tick, they've got enough bony development for it to be safe. Yeah, great. So in your ideal world, then, what would your pre-point dancer look like? So how many times a week would they be taking class? Um, what are good indicators of their areas of strength? What would they look like? Yeah. So I usually say you should be doing at least three classical ballet classes a week. Anything under three is just not enough. So even if you're doing 10 hours of dance, but you're only doing two hours of ballet, not really enough. So I have a real focus on mastering the basics and making sure that they are done really, really, really well. Um, you, the biggest one, like I said, I have an, an enormous list of things that I personally like to check. One of the biggest ones is being able to do 20 perfect single leg parallel rises. 
um, and making sure that we look at all of the nuances of their control on the way up and on the way down, how much foot control they have, what their pelvis is doing, how well they're controlling their turnout, even in parallel. So many different things, making sure that we're not using the bar to do press-ups on, um, but really articulating those. There are so many more, though, that need to be looked in into a lot of detail. So we look at things such as the length of the metatarsals, the particular areas of the foot that point range is coming from, because they may have enough in one area and not enough in another. We also really want to look at dynamic control. A lot of people look at very static measurements, but I want to see what happens whilst you're moving. Dynamic control, because you can do one thing sitting on a bed and may not be able to do that in class. So we really want to make sure that the young dancer who is thinking of going to, on to point has a really good grasp of basic classical ballet technique, can take corrections really well, um, and is focused on doing their own personalized dance conditioning work at home. You can't do it all in the studio, so they should be responsible enough to be working on their issues in their own time, whether that's a flexibility issue, whether it's a turnout issue, whether it's a control issue. So I really like to make sure that they're responsible enough to, to really improve on the things that they find a bit more difficult. Yeah, and taking corrections is maybe a sign of psychological maturity, which I think is something that is often overlooked. So we can come to that in a second, but just really quickly, what do you think about demi points? Do you think they're necessary or beneficial or... <laughs> I have a video and an article on this because Vicky Attard and I, who we did the My Beginner Point program, um, we actually had differing views on this when we first started talking about it. So I like looking at the pros and the cons to help me people make good decisions. For Vicky, she thought that the transition from ballet flats to point shoes is a big one. And that if they are working in demi points, it's a bit more of an unstable base. They're learning to work against a little bit of resistance so they can build the strength and control and proprioception that they'll need on point. From my point of view, I don't like them in young students because they can hide immense amounts of clawing. So if you're in demi point shoes, you can actually be pointing the ankle and really clawing the toes, which is not great when we're developing for point. So basically, if you're adding resistance, you will get stronger at the thing you are doing, whether that's good pattern, great, you're strengthening a good pattern. If it's not a great pattern, you're strengthening an appalling pattern, which is going to lead to injuries long term. So for me, I like to take them out of their ballet flats, get a really good pattern going, then start into integrating it with the demi point shoe before having the point shoe. That being said, I actually don't like a lot of the prefabricated demi-point shoes, and I actually much prefer to use their point shoes that they are using broken down, like we did in the old days, as their demi-points, because it is the same shape, the same sole, the same feel as their point shoe. I find that a lot of the pre-made demi-points are quite a different shoe again, so it just can be a little bit confusing for them. So once they've been wearing point shoes, I definitely like them using the style of point shoe they have broken down as a demi point shoe. Yeah, definitely. So going back to psychological maturity then, so that's also a factor in beginning point work that I think a lot of people mm -hmm. often overlook. And um, mm -hmm. for example, students need to be prepared to work hard and they also, practicing safely becomes much more important, I think, than it was before. And um, so mm -hmm. could you tell us a little bit about this? 
Yeah. This is why I always say um, I can clear, as a physio, I can clear a dancer physically, but it's always the dance teacher's responsibility as to when they actually start doing it. I may have a kid who passes every physical test known to man in a one-on-one -on -one environment when I'm focused on them yet they're the class clown and they're swinging from the bar and annoying other students in the class. Or they can do it yeah, in a one-on-one -on -one environment, but when there's a group, they just lose attention and they're watching the butterflies out the window. So I think the dance teacher has a much better idea of who can actually stay focused in the environment of a class. Also, I encourage teachers actually to keep the first pair of shoes at school at the school rather than letting the kids take them home. It's super exciting. And I've seen numerous issues with kids doing pirouettes down the hallway when they should basically be practicing standing on flat. So I think it's really, really important that we do understand that if they are younger, we need to put steps in place because they are going to be very excited and want to start busting out things that are much harder than what they really should be doing. And also including the parents into the, de the decision to say, yes, this is what they're allowed to do in their shoes. This is what they're not allowed to do in their shoes. So that there's a bit of responsibility from the whole family going on as well. Yeah, that's really great. So what risks are associated then more generally with starting point mark too early? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest one that we normally see is issues with all the tendons that sit around the back of the ankle. So if they don't have good articulation of the foot, they'll tend to miss out the little lumbricals and the interossei, the little toe intrinsics, and they'll tend to overload a lot of the tendons. A lot of people think it's their Achilles, but more often it's flexor hallucis longus, tibialis posterior, or the long toe flexors, flexor digitorum. The biggest thing that I like to get across to them is that it's much easier to learn a new pattern than to change an old one. So Paul Check, who's a high-level personal trainer, did some research and estimates it takes about 700 repetitions to install a motor pattern. So once you've done something 700 times, your brain goes, oh, okay, that's how I should do that. Then you'll continue to do that pattern reasonably effortlessly. It takes about 3,500 to change one. So it takes five times longer to change a pattern than it did to put it there in the first place. So if you start your first rise on point beautifully and you do it 700 times, you're then not going to have to think about it so much when you're starting to add on extra um, developments of that exercise. However, if you hop onto point the first 700 times, it's going to be really, really, really hard to retrain you. So I put so much focus on getting really good patterns before starting on point so that we've got those as a base to work on. Um, the other thing that tends to happen, especially if we've got very floppy feet, if students are snapping into end range, is a lot of posterior impingement with the tissues at the back of the ankle getting squashed. And this usually happens in the more hypermobile um, students who have beautiful looking feet, but are not necessarily that strong. They've often been told they have strong feet, but it's just that they have super flexy feet that they can pop over in a ponche. So we need to make sure that if they've got range, they can control it. And the other one is knee issues. So often around that 11 to 14 year old age group, they have issues with their knees anyway. If they're trying to hop onto point or they're snapping back into hyperextension or they're bending their knees to get over onto their box, they can get a lot of issues around their knees. So optimal technique and actually rising onto point, I find is super important in preventing um, unnecessary knee injuries. 
Yeah, lots of those things though, you would possibly see easier when the student's already on point. So to prevent making that mistake, what in assessing a pre-point student, what should a teacher be looking for? Again, I have a, a, a very extensive program on doing this um, that you can do in person if you're in Australia at the moment um, or online. And we're actually making this at the moment um, so that it could actually be done self-guided online so that everyone can get access to it. The thing that I try and get across, though, is it, it's not actually one assessment. So the whole pre-point process should be about two years. So the, the, the worst thing is to have one assessment and then they fail their assessment and they get really upset. The pre-point process should be graded development in the two years before you want to start them on point. Then when they have a formal assessment, they've done 90% of it and they just have a few little things to tweak. If I had to sum it up in the most minimal list, if I had to actually use only one test to assess someone for point, it would be a tondu en quoi. You can look at their core stability, the articulation of their foot, their standing leg turnout, their working leg turnout in bare feet. Um, and you can tell a lot of things about a dancer by just watching that. I also like to make sure that they can do a crompelier in the centre. Most people have always done it, holding onto the bar and they slightly freak out when they have to do it unassisted. But that shows me a little bit about their dynamic core control. And as I mentioned before, those consistent repeated rises with excellent form. Um, don't quote me on that because I have about 25 things that I actually check. But if I had to sum it up in just a couple, it would be those. Yeah, I'm kind of just interested. So I didn't prep this. Um, but in a practical world, um, mm -hmm. perhaps you haven't got the student for two years before they start point work. They come to you just before or they're not doing enough classes. But realistically, they need to go on point. There's just so many things that it's never going to be perfect. So what would your advice be to teachers in dealing with these students who maybe they haven't taught all their lives and then have to produce a point student in a few months? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, really tricky. It's even harder if you inherit them already on point and you know they shouldn't be. That's actually the hard one. So in that situation, there's actually a set of exercises in the My Beginner Point um, program, which are the prep exercises, which are the ones that I encourage people to go through when students are first on point. And it really shows the student that they're not ready, basically. So you're not putting them in any danger, but you can see that they're not prepared, actually ready for classwork. And I think people really need to look at this, I need to be on point, actually, do you? Because if you're not doing three hours of dance a week, you're not having a professional career. So the need is actually usually a want rather than need. So I think we need to be very, very careful. If they're not willing to commit to three classical classes, I don't think they should be on point. Same goes for adult students on point. Same goes for guys on point. So I think that's, a, that's why I have that as a really big benchmark. It kind of weeds out who's actually serious about it and who's not. If you're doing a couple of ballet classes to improve your technique for another style, you don't need to be on point. If you need to be on point to do a certain exam, that's something that I work really closely with, but building up to the exam, you'd want to be doing those three classes a week anyway. So I really think that's a, a bit of a benchmark in the sand. Um, I don't like cutting corners with it. I just think it's not worth it because I've seen so many 30 year olds who were put on point for a couple of years when they were a student because they had to, and then they suffer with injuries long-term because of it. So I think we really need to take a step back and go, look, 
ballet is not normal human function. Point work is not normal human function. You know, it's not a right. You have to earn it. So if you're not willing to put the effort in to earn that, then you actually probably shouldn't be doing it. And I'm pretty, um, pretty firm on it, but I think we need to be. Um, to help people have long, happy lives doing whatever they're going to do with the rest of their life rather than just uh, popping them up so they can have a five minutes of fame badly on point. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Lisa. Um, what Can we look at weak feet then and also overly flexible feet, which are perhaps sometimes similar feet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give to teachers and students on how to train these? So the super flexi feet, so whether they have amazing point range or they tend to be super flat and pronated when they stand, we need to hold them back a little bit longer. So anyone with a level of hypermobility in their joints, we need to make sure that they've got really, really good endurance of their deeper stabilizing muscles because they'll tend to fatigue more quickly. And if you think about it, we often do point work at the end of class. So I also make sure to assess them when they're tired, not when they're fresh. So a hypermobile person, you can get a completely different response if you assess them before class versus after class. So it's something to keep an eye on. Um, really important that if they have super flexible feet, they're not snapping into the end of range. So I do a lot of work with them learning how much range they have and learning to bring themselves back out of it safely. I don't like them shortening their range. You need to be able to have the strength to work into your range because you will get put there suddenly when you go on point. So we do quite a bit of work working on that end range. There's also quite a few different things that you can do, tricks with elastic, elastics and vamp elastic and different ways of using the ribbons and angling the ribbons and where they're placed on their heel to customize it for a mobile foot. So a mobile foot would need to have a little bit of work done in that area compared to a foot that's a bit more rigid and stable. If they've got really inflexible feet, um, we really need to look at this. So most often they have some point of restriction that just hasn't been worked on. So I have a program called how to improve your point range safely without a foot stretcher. Um, don't put them in a foot stretcher. Usually that put, puts pressure on the things that already move rather than specifically mobilizing the things that don't. But if you analyze, if, and it basically can be any lock point in the entire body, but a lot from the knee, from the upper ankle, lower ankle, down into the foot, with some very careful, specific mobilizers, you can massively improve people's range. You need to start this early rather than right when you're about to start on point. So I had one girl in Sydney, um, her teacher sent her two years before she was going to have a pre-point assessment. She said, Lise, this kid is beautiful in every other thing, but her feet are terrible. Can you do anything? And Erin and I, Erin um, who used to work for me, worked with her diligently. She had negative 26 degrees point rate. 26 degrees off where she needed to be, she actually ended up being about six degrees over. So it took a while and we had to change how she walked. We did lots of direct mobilizing of specific places in the feet, taught her how to treat her own feet, but over two years improved her by over 30 degrees. So I never say never, um, but it does take a lot of detailed work. So I'm right in thinking that you have a video then on foot stretches helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all the pros and cons of foot stretches um there are not many pros yeah right. um but there are quite a lot of cons so a really good one to have a look at yeah
Sure. So something we touched on earlier is that not all students are suitable for point work um, and it can form really difficult situations in the studio. So what's your advice to teachers, to students and also maybe to parents who might be able to help and how we can understand and deal with this? Yeah, I think the, the best way I've seen it dealt with in studios is by having a really formal pre-point assessment instituted at the studio. A studio I worked with in Melbourne, they used to have a one-year program, they now have a two-year program. In the beginning, they invite all the parents and the students who think they might be wanting to do point work in. They get emailed a PDF about everything that's involved. They get given a printout of the PDF when they arrive and they have a meeting talking about how the process of developing the pre-point assessment, the costs involved, all of that right at the start. And then they decide, yes, I want to do this. No, I don't. I want to keep dancing without doing point work, totally fine as an option, or yes, I want to commit to this, I'm going to do the extra classes and the extra work, and I'm aware that I actually need to pass X, Y, and Z in order to get my shoes. So I think just being really upfront with it early, well before the question even comes up, is super important. Also, the benefit about implementing the pre-point assessment as a class um, and as a process well before their formal assessment is that the kids work it out for themselves. They know which elements they struggle with and which ones they find easy. And I've actually had kids say to me, oh no, no, I haven't done enough work on this. I know I need to work more on this before I'm allowed to get my shoes. At 10, 11, that's amazing. Rather than them being devastated of having an assessment and failing, they've already been doing the assessment in class and working on the things. So if they haven't done the work themselves, it's no surprise that they don't pass their test. Yeah, it's like a driving test. You can't just rock up and sit your test without having any practice. And some people need to practice more three-point turns and some need to practice more hill starts and different people need to practice more. But you need to actually be competent before you get your license for your shoes. Yeah, I think that's a really good balance between setting it up as a big deal because it is a big deal and students need to take it seriously, but also between not making it something they will feel anxious about. So I think that's a really nice, really nice balance. Um, moving on then, sort of from readiness to point, four point to actual point work. So what mm -hmm. would you suggest that point work should look like in the studio um, in a pre-point context, but then also as well as when they get on point, how can the teacher integrate it into the timetable, I suppose? Um, we have a video on this chatting with Vicky on the My Beginner Point site. Um, she is brilliant at teaching point. The first time I went and watched her point class, I just nodded and smiled for an hour and a half. It was great. So there are lots of different ways of doing it. But the, the thing that a lot of people come up with is, oh, well, I have these students at this grade. You have two students who are um, just got their shoes and then I've got five in this class and then I've got two over here. She actually has them all in the same class from pre-point through to professional dancers and they move around the room as they get more competent. So if they're pre-point, they're doing it either in bare feet or in demi-point shoes. Then if they're first in their point shoes, they're doing it just very slow, facing the bar, doing the same exercises, same music. Then once they're a little bit older, they do it sideways onto the bar, there's more of hormone, they do more repetitions, there's less breaks. As they start getting through to their professional level, it's getting way more complex, but it's still intrinsically the same exercise. So she has about six different versions of each exercise and it gets built on and built on and built on. This is great for timetabling because you have a point class. Yeah, it's, it's they're eating their veggies of point work. So it's doing all of the, the nitty gritty articulation work. 
yes, they're doing other stuff in their other classes, but they need to have the routine of going through the basics all the time. And I think the most wonderful thing is that your little pre-pointers are seeing the superstars doing the exact same work. So it's not that, oh, I'm too good for this. It's you have a professional dancer who's in the Aussie ballet who's back saying hi to Vicky. She's doing the same work as you. And they get so excited when they get kind of progressed along the bar. <laughs> They're like, oh, yay, I've moved off the stage. And some people will move faster than others. And, you know, if they're doing more classes, they'll get moved along more quickly. And if they haven't done their work on their own, they won't. So I think she does it really, really, really well. Um, and she's an absolute stickler for details. So we created the My Beginner Point program as an in-between between the perfect point book and the perfect point system that I'd done in pre-point preparation and really getting, are you ready for your shoes? Her My Point program is phenomenal for pre-professional, professional level dancers but there was a bit of a chasm in between. And we realized that a lot of people, that the syllabus work isn't enough for teaching point work. So most syllabuses are an examination syllabus. They're not a teaching syllabus. So we created the, the, a way to smooth the gap between them getting their first pair of shoes, very first preppy exercises, first kind of class exercises, and then gradually building on those exercises in order for them to be able to do her advanced level work later on, which is exquisite. So if anyone's really wanting to do point work, I think the My Beginner Point program and Vicky's My Point is exactly where you should be focusing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't actually heard of it being done like that before. And that, yeah, it sounds really, really great. And um, something kind of interesting is that point work often, aside from in a separate point class, is often at the end of class. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Do you think it should be done more at the start of class or is it okay at the end when they're tired? Because I suppose that's the same as an exam setting. What do you think? It's a tricky one. Um, I think in their regular, so say you're doing intermediate RAD, um, the way it is in the exam, they need to practice that, but it doesn't need to be like that all the time. Also, though, you don't want to be going into your point shoes cold. So you, I think doing class first is great because you're getting your articulation of your feet and you're warming up, getting your channel, getting everything sorted. Um, I am a massive advocate of doing extended work at the bar, very lightly supported, not gripping onto the bar, ideally even fingertips underneath the bar. But I think doing it at the end of class, we just need to make sure that they've got really good performance um, of the exercises. Whether somebody's injured or not, I always try and have their rehab or their conditioning a level above what they do in class. So if they're struggling to articulate the feet on a rise in their exercises, they shouldn't be doing it in class because they're not going to do it well yeah, at speed with music. Um, thinking of their head. So we need to make sure that in their exercises, they're actually a level above what they're being asked to do in class. And I think that's a really good guideline to make sure that their technique is going to be good. Something that's a problem now that maybe hasn't always been a problem with point work is social media. So it can really influence students' perceptions of point work from trying to copy people's technique or they see others their age on point and they're like, why aren't I doing that? And um, what, what advice would you give to teachers, I guess, on how they can deal with this? They can't limit students' social media use, but how can they educate them, I guess, around what they see? Yeah, it's a tricky one. A um, couple of things that I bring up. One is, as I said before, when they're young, keep their shoes at school so they can't go off and try things without you seeing them. Yeah. 
The other thing that I personally have a chat to them about is telling them not to wear their point shoes outdoors. So, so often they go off and do their little Instagram photo shoot in a tree, in a park, and their shoes get all muddy and wet and break down. So you do not use your class shoes as Instagram photo shoes. Yeah. I also think it's really good to have a chat about social media. Um, and about the, the pushes and pulls of it. One teacher I know um, in Sydney did a really beautiful exercise because she started noticing this, that the kids were you know, wanting to put things up to get more accolades and more likes. And she realized that in class, they'd get corrections, but hardly ever, oh my goodness, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. So they don't really get that from their classwork. So what she did, she went off to the dollar store and got some little post-it notes in the shape of hearts. And they actually were doing a contemporary class. And so they did this contemporary improv and they broke into separate groups. And each person did their piece. And then afterwards, all the other kids went up and stuck a physical heart on them and said, I loved blah, 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 blah. Oh, I love this about this. And I love this about this. And she had these photos of these kids standing there just covered in these pink hearts. And she said, we've got to actually not just try and push it away. It's not going anywhere, but we've got to use the power of it to help inform the dance teacher. So I think that was a really nice um, way to look at it. I think the thing that I, I was watching some the other day, there's a photographer and he was doing, you know, 10 photos in 10 minutes or something running around. Um, it's one done in Sydney. There was one in New York City and these girls cranking out insane poses. One of the biggest problems is people doing jumps on concrete, um, doing um, turns on not great surfaces. So doing a turn in a studio is totally different than trying to turn and point use on rough concrete. Now you can do a lot of damage to yourself. One thing that I really recommend is going through any kind of hashtag, say Tilt Tuesday, and going through and actually analyzing them instead of going oh my goodness look how high her leg is go oh look at her hyperextended supporting leg how rolled in is she oh that one's actually okay oh can you see how her hips really gripping so teaching them to be more observant and more critical i think is actually one of the most important things so they're not idolizing a massive back bend, they're going, oh, look at her hinging at that point, that's not good. Um, whereas seeing somebody with beautiful control, then they go, oh, that's what I want to be like. So we have to teach them how to see um, rather than just idolizing a shape. And also I think making them aware that that's not the whole picture. They're seeing a snapshot of that dancer's life and they don't know what training that dancers have before. They don't know where they're at in their point career. So I think that's something else to be really mindful of as well. Um, and it's often not real time. So I've had kids who are injured who have a stock of, of photos that they continue posting on social media so they don't have a break. Yeah. So they're bad, yet they're popping up photos of them two months before mm. to keep it going. It's actually not reality. <laughs> Yeah, so they have an injury because they were doing that, yet they're still posting those photos to kind of keep up the social persona whilst they're in rehab. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely something to be mindful of. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss or mention today, Lisa? Oh, man, I could talk about that way forever. Um, I think the biggest thing is it's not enough just doing point work. Um, it's really looking at the process and really learning about your own body, how your body is different to your friend's body, really understanding individual anatomy of feet, uh, I think is super important, both for the dancer and for teachers and for point you fitters. 
I did a workshop for the fitters at Sonata in Singapore. They said, Lisa, we've had fitting, um, point you fitting workshops from Block and Capizio and Ganymedans and Leos and everything. And they taught us how to fit their shoes, but all of their fitting styles are different. So can you do one that's actually about the foot? I said, of course I can. So we actually went through and looked at the different types of feet, how different feet respond and why some shoes work better on some feet than others. And they said that was really helpful because then they can actually look at the foot and see what does this dancer need rather than how can I fit this particular shoe on XYZ dancers. So I think really getting interested about the anatomy and the differences and why it is different for some people. And also teachers realizing that just because a certain shoe or a certain style of training worked for them, it's not necessarily going to work for all of their students. It will for some, but some may need a different approach. So constantly looking and edu getting education and looking to be able to understand this whole process from a, a wider perspective, rather than just doing what we were taught, I think is super, super important. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your time again today, Lisa. It's been great chatting with you. My absolute pleasure. I'll put this down below in the show notes as well, but you can use SciDance as a code for 20% off all point products on Lisa's website, excluding workshops. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next Monday for another episode of SciDance. Make sure you're following at SciDance Podcast on Instagram to keep up with the latest episodes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, it'd be really great if you could rate, review, subscribe and share.